This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. There's no way to hunt waterfowl without shotguns and ammo. And on this episode, I'm going to talk about the different kinds of shotguns and maybe more importantly, help you navigate the massive industry of shotgun shells to find the right combination for you. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanidis, and today we're going to talk about shotguns and ammo for duck hunting and goose hunting. And this is a massive subject. There's so much to it, and I'm going to focus it and boil it down to what the new hunter needs to know. All right, now this I'm sure would still help people if you've been hunting for 5, 10, 30 years. There's always things to gain and more information out there. But these recommendations are going to be focused on new hunters. All right, the information is good for everyone, but the recommendations are focused on new hunters. And before we move forward, I want to make sure and thank Tetra Hearing for their partnership and, and their support of the channel. Really appreciate them. So what kind of shotgun do you want to start hunting waterfowl with? What's the best shotgun for a new hunter? Well, guys, if you've heard it before, you can hear it again. The best shotgun for a new waterfowl hunter is the shotgun that you already have or can easily borrow. That's it. Go with what you've got. That's the best way to get started. There's too many other things to spend money on in this sport. You need decoys. You need waiters. You need calls. You need all sorts of things to get into this. If you already have a shotgun or have access to a shotgun, that is the best option for you to get started with. All right, it doesn't matter if it's a semi-automatic, a pump shotgun, an over-under shotgun, a side-by-side shotgun a single shot break action, or even a bolt action shotgun, whatever you have, that will work to help you get started. This is not like many other kinds of turkey hunting, or excuse me, it's not like turkey hunting and many other kinds of hunting where you really need something, you know, something a little more specific is really going to help you. Guys, we're talking about shooting birds out of the air, pretty much the thing that every shotgun was designed to do. So whether it's a 12 gauge, 16 gauge, 20 gauge, they'll all work. 28 gauge, maybe. You could probably still pull it off. You're just not going to be able to take long shots. Whatever you have or can borrow, that's where you should start. If you don't have something and you can't borrow something, the next best thing is whatever you can get super cheap at a gun shop used or a gun show used. Whatever you can pick up on the cheap Because here's the thing, whatever you buy, you're going to learn, you're going to get experience, and then you're going to be able to formulate your own opinion, your own understanding of what you like, what fits your style, what works best for you. So 
Chances are, if you have no experience, whatever you buy, you're probably going to wish you got something else once you got some experience. So if you buy something used, usually after a season or two, you could sell that and get exactly or close to what you paid for it and then take that money and, and, and push that forward and leverage that to getting what you really wanted. So that's always my recommendation. Whatever you have or whatever you can borrow or whatever you can get used cheap, do that to start and then learn, get experience, get actual field tested understanding of what you like and what fits your style and what works good for you. And then that'll help you make another decision going forward. But, you know, this past year, shot cheap shotguns, cheap all guns really, have been in short supply. And depending on where you live, that could be the case for a while. So if you're going to buy something new, what do you buy? Well, that's the part probably most people are waiting for. If you want to buy something new, what do you buy? Okay, so I personally have a recommendation here that doesn't make my recommendation the best option for everybody. So I'm going to cover the different options, but my recommendation for new hunters that are going to buy a new gun would be to get a semi-automatic, also known as an auto-loading shotgun. This is one where you put the shells in the gun, you charge it, and then every time you pull the trigger, it shoots. I believe that that is the best option for new hunters. It is a pricier option. It does cost more money than most of the other options. But here's the thing. All the other types, which I'll talk about momentarily, are going to require you to learn an additional skill. Okay, so a pump-action shotgun, for example, is the staple, the standard, the go-to the, the number one type of shotgun used seemingly forever. People love them. They're resilient. They're durable. They work well. They're very, very reliable. Excellent firearm. I have used them. I have shot ducks with them. Even still, you now have to learn not just how to shoot, not just how to shoot birds out of the air, not just to judge your distance, not just to lead a bird, not just to, to understand your pattern, but now you also, after every shot, you have to develop this skill of pulling back that, uh, that pump, pushing it forward, making sure you get full extensions on both sides until you develop that muscle memory and it becomes an automatic technique. And that just takes extra work. It takes extra time. It takes extra ammo which at this juncture in history is more expensive than it has been in, in at least any time that I'm aware of. So, you know, that, that goes into the, sem, or to the pump action shotgun. Over-under shotgun, same thing. You, you need to develop the skill set on how to, how to load that, how to reload that, how to shift between barrels, there's an extra thought process. Sometimes you've got to push a button. Sometimes you have to hit a lever. Sometimes one barrel has one choke. Another barrel has another choke. On and on and on. You have to learn those nuances and build that skill set. Break action shotgun. After every shot, you got to open it. Take the old shell out. Put the new shell in. Close it. You've only got one shot. Those are often cheaper, but you're, you're, you're limited in firepower and you've only got one shot. Side-by-side -side shotgun, aka double-barrel shotgun, same thing. Sometimes you got two triggers. Sometimes you got levers, buttons, switches, uh, all of that. Bolt-action shotgun, obviously you have to work that bolt every time. You've got to develop this skill set, this muscle memory. You have to really know your firearm to be able to use it well. And I believe that the semi-automatic shotgun is the best option because there's the least to learn about the, the functional operation of the mechanism of the gun. Focus your time, focus your shells, focus your energy on learning how to shoot well as opposed to learning how to, to work a mechanism and to make sure that you remember to do that in the heat of the moment when your adrenaline's pumping, where ducks are in the air, when you miss with your first shot and you're like, what do I do now? And all you wanna do is pull that trigger again the semi-automatic makes that the easiest. Now, every other option that I just mentioned and even others that I, I aren't even on the board right now, all of those can be effective. 
you can do well with all of them. Some people prefer an over-under. Some people prefer a pump action. But usually they prefer it because they've used it for years. They're very familiar with it. They've mastered the mechanism, the controls. They've built that muscle memory. And they are just as effective with that tool as anyone would be with a semi-automatic. I'm not saying that the semi-automatic is more effective necessarily. I'm saying there's less to learn for the new hunter. So that's my recommendation. But it's also the most expensive option, um, usually. But it's not that much more expensive. So there's a, there's a lot of good companies out there that make good auto loaders. You know, I've mentioned before, I like to shoot a Mossberg 930. I've seen people with uh, Stevens auto loaders that work well. Even uh, Remington and Winchester do and have made some nice models that are in the lower price bracket. There's a lot of companies out there that make nice products that are not, you know, $1,000 and $2,000 guns. So that's what I would recommend you do. Of course, the, the, the plan B, the number two option would be the pump action because they're so reliable. There's so many of them out there and the price is so good. So I'd say auto loader first, pump action second. Beyond that, if you, if you don't want either of those two, then you already have an opinion. You already have a preference. Go with whatever your gut is. Now, I recommend a 12-gauge shotgun or a 20-gauge shotgun, but I think the 12-gauge is better, and here's why. The only reason most people would pick a 20-gauge shotgun is the gun is lighter, and the gun may not have as much recoil. I say may because it's not guaranteed. It may not have as much recoil. Now, the, the difference in weight may be a pound. Sometimes maybe a little more, could be less. Uh, the difference in recoil is, is measurable, but I don't know that it's significant because you can get 20 gauge shells that have as much power, as much shot, as much, as much velocity as 12 gauge shells. Uh, and to the same token, you can get 12 gauge shells that have less power, less shot, less recoil, so you can get in either caliber, in either chambering, whichever amount of recoil or downrange performance that you want. So you could get a 12 gauge, two and three quarter inch shell that has a you know 1300, uh, 1300 feet velocity of a one ounce charge, and that is going to be very similar to a target load that most people could shoot hundreds of in a day to the same the same you could get a, a 12 gauge three inch shell that is uh 15 or 1600 feet per second that's an ounce and a half of shot and that thing's going to have some serious recoil that you know people that are recoil sensitive or smaller folks are not going to appreciate but the point is with either the 12 or the 20 gauge you can pick, you know, how much intensity, how much recoil, how much downrange performance you want. So by getting a 12 gauge, you're not necessarily saying, oh, I'm going to have more recoil than I can manage. You can manage the recoil by picking shells that are light and recoil. And then you can always dial it up to, to the most powerful shells that you want. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the 16 gauge, not because it's not a great uh, it's not a great middle point between the two. In fact, for decades, the 16 gauge was the shotgun of choice nationally. It was the number one caliber. But today, it's pretty much fallen out of favor. Not as many people make a 16 gauge. There are very few ammo choices available for it. So if you've got one and you've got ammo that works good for you, that's all you need. You don't need anything else. That Nothing's going to do better than that necessarily. But it's hard to get ammo. Usually when you go to the store, there are maybe, well, okay, back in the day, there would be, you know, maybe 50 different options of 12 gauge, 30 options of 20 gauge, and one box, maybe two boxes of 16 gauge in the whole store, you know, depending on where you go. But that's been my experience. Uh, but I recommend the 12 gauge over the 20 because it's the most popular, there's the most ammo, and it's the most widely available. Recently, I we were doing a clay target shoot, and I had to buy 12 and 20 gauge shells uh, for the for the group to use. 
And the 20 gauge shells were more expensive. And it was harder to get them than the 12 gauge. You might think, well, they're smaller. There's less powder. There's less shot. There's less everything. They should be cheaper. Yeah, but there's also less of them. And they're not made in the same volume as 12 gauge is. So these are the things to weigh. But I think a 12 gauge is the way to go. If you want a gun that's a little lighter, then the 20 gauge would be your option there. And then rounding out the gun side is your choke. So make sure you buy a gun that has a removable choke tube. If you say, I don't know what a choke tube is. A choke tube is basically a cylinder of metal that you screw into the end of the barrel. Often it'll even seat inside the barrel so it doesn't stick out of the barrel, but it screws into it and, and choke tubes have different constrictions. They're, they're different tightnesses essentially. And the tighter the choke tube, the more constriction, it's going to squeeze those pellets, those BBs coming out of the barrel. It's going to squeeze them together so that they stay together longer as they go down range and you have a tighter pattern at distance. So for example, a full choke tube, which is a tighter one, is going to give you a smaller pattern. Maybe you're going to have a, a two foot pattern at 20 yards. I'm just making up numbers just for an example. Then you may have, say, a modified choke tube, which is not as tight. Maybe you're going to have two and a half or a three foot pattern at 20 yards. Okay, so the difference is not enormous, but you can go from open cylinder, which is going to give you, who knows, maybe, maybe a four foot pattern at 20 yards, all the way down to extra, extra full, which they might use for turkey hunting, which might give you uh, three quarters of a foot at 20 yards. So, you know, I'm exaggerating the differences here just to make the point, but you want to have removable choke tubes because that will enable you to use that shotgun for every different kind of hunting that you could use a shotgun for. Now, I like to use a modified choke tube most of the time for waterfowl hunting. That's just my all-around choke tube that I usually use. I'll use that for shooting clay targets. I'll use that for shooting crows. I'll use that for dove hunting. I'll use that for waterfowl hunting. Anything that's in the air, I'm typically going to use a modified choke. But if I'm hunting maybe geese and where we have to set up the blind is a little further, I might use a full choke tube. And of course, different ammos, you might pick different choke tubes. You don't need to buy five or ten different ones. You only need to buy the one or two that you're going to use. Usually the gun's going to come with one. Sometimes it might come with three if it's a new gun. But you want to make sure it's removable. Some guns, particularly older guns, will have a barrel that the, the choke tube is it's just the barrel is bored to a certain choke. There's nothing you can remove. It's just going to be a modified barrel or a full barrel or an open cylinder barrel. And... Uh, you know, it's just one size fits all. If you don't like it, use a different gun to hunt that thing. And, you know, if that's what you have, you can start with that. It's not going to make all the difference in the world. But if you're buying something, make sure that you got removable choke tubes. So then if you want to later someday, maybe use that gun for turkey hunting. You can put a turkey choke in. If you want to use it for dove hunting, you can put a dove choke in. Uh, you know, you have those kind of options. You can do whatever you want to do in the future. Choke tubes typically run maybe starting at $15 and up, and they can go up substantially, but they're not that expensive. So if you, know, you get into a different kind of hunting in the future, and that requires a different choke tube, then you can just buy that for $15 as opposed to having to buy another gun. So there you have it. If you follow those recommendations at the cross of the board, I'd point you to a 12-gauge auto-loading shotgun with a modified choke tube. And that's the gun section. Put a pin in that. That's, that's pretty much it. That's the easy part. Okay. Picking a gun and, uh, uh, you know, what chambering and what choke tube. To me, that's easy. Now, again, you may vary that up. Maybe you want to use a full choke. Maybe you want to use an improved cylinder choke. You, you can practice. You can go to the range. See what works for the ammo that you have. What gives you the best pattern at the distances you plan to be hunting. But like I said, that's the easy part. Next is the ammo side, the shotgun shells for waterfowl hunting. This is the part, this is kind of like going to the toothpaste style at the grocery store. You got a hundred varieties. 
you can't tell from anything what's better than anything else. You don't understand what might be better than anything else. And even though you maybe have used the same one for 10 years, you still don't know why that's better or not as better than anything else on the shelf. And, uh, you know, everything's marketed to be the perfect thing for everything. And how do you sort that out? Okay, well, there's three different types of shot primarily. There's more than three, but the three primary ones used for waterfowl hunting are steel shot, bismuth shot, and tungsten shot. And before I talk about those, I need to back up and give you just a little bit of the backstory. Now, most shotguns, or excuse me, most shotgun shells for most kinds of hunting and even self-defense are going to use lead shot. Lead is the staple. It's the standard. They've been using lead shot and shotguns since shotguns were invented. Now, here's the thing. Lead shot is probably the single best material for shotgun shot. Lead is the ideal material. Okay, lead is very dense, which means it retains a lot of energy at distance. It, it, it has little wind resistance. So it's able to go far without losing much velocity. And when it hits, because it's so dense, it has a lot of force. It impacts. It, it does exactly what you want it to do. Lead shot is also soft, which means it doesn't mar or damage a barrel because it, the, the steel of the barrel is harder than the steel of the shot. So lead shot works great out of any barrel. Lead shot... Um, uh, because it's malle it's not just soft, it's also malleable, which means when it hits something, when it hits a bird, hits a deer, whatever you're shooting it with, it doesn't shatter, it, it, it deforms, it bends, it, it may flatten a little or become oblong or whatever. So if it hits a bone, it doesn't shatter, leaving shards of lead in the food. It, it just it stays in one piece. And then the other thing about lead is that it's cheap. It's super cheap. It's one of the cheaper metals out there. It's able to be mass produced in mass quantities. Lead is really the ideal tool for the job. Lead kills amazingly well when you're talking about shooting birds. It's probably the best tool out there. It's the best shot out there. The best combination of every factor that you could want. Lead is basically perfect. Except that it's toxic. Lead will kill you and anything else pretty much on this planet. It's toxic. Uh, that's the downside. Now, you know, you don't, we don't have a lot of contact with the lead usually because it's wrapped up. It's sealed in the shell, which is waterproof. And, uh, you know, you're not having a lot of contact with lead and your body will over time, um, you know, get lead out of you. It'll slowly leave your body if you do have some exposure, uh, so forth and so on. And typically, you know, when we shoot an animal, we just take the bullet out. Uh, birds are a little more complicated than that because you might not see or be able to find all the bullets. But that's not the reason why uh, the world changed when it came to lead for waterfowl hunting. See, the federal government cracked down and said, all right, guys, you can no longer shoot ducks and to my understanding, anywhere in the United States with lead shells. Uh, maybe there's a couple places I don't know about, but as far as anywhere I've ever looked to hunt and I know about, you've got, you can't use lead because they said lead is poisoning uh, the environment and the habitats of the different animals. So there's two sides to this. Okay. On one side, uh, you might say, well, you know, Guys are out there, you know, shooting birds out of the sky. Those pellets spread out a tremendous amount before they fall in land and water or on the ground or on the soil. You know, there is no way that the amount of lead being thrown into the, into the ecosystem is enough to actually cause toxicity in the dirt or in the water. Because if you've done any science, uh, you know that lead is in the dirt. That's, it's, it's. It can't, comes out of the ground. It is in the dirt. You test dirt anywhere. There's a there's a certain amount of lead there. It's fractional, but it's there. So you're just you know putting more lead into the dirt. It's going to break down over time, and so on. And I agree with that 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 rationale, that logic, and that science. 
that um, I think it's ridiculous to say, okay, guys, we were poisoning lakes and streams and rivers by hunting ducks. Just the, 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 the amount of lead being used, the dispersion of it, and the fact that it's a naturally occurring substance, I think that's outrageous, preposterous, and completely ridiculous to the point of I'd be ready to pick up a sign and start picketing. However, that's not the main reason that lead has been outlawed for waterfowl hunting. So if, if you thought that was the reason, it's not. That's one of the reasons, but it's not the main reason. The main reason is that the lead shot looks a tremendous amount like different nuts that ducks eat and different nuts and, and little grains and things that ducks eat to the point where ducks were literally seeking out, diving to the bottom of ponds to find the lead shot and eating it and then becoming poisoned. And then you're ending up with birth defects, animals that are just dying, sitting there eating birds that are being shot and they've got stomachs full of lead pellets because they've been eating them and they've been looking for them. And that was wreaking havoc on the waterfowl population. It wasn't that we're poisoning the lakes. It's that the ducks are actually eating the lead pellets, which is going to kill you basically no matter what you are or who you are if you do enough of that. So that is the main reason why lead shot has been bound or banned from waterfowl hunting. You know, turkeys, they're not eating lead shot. Deer, they're not eating lead shot. Crows, they're not eating lead shot. But ducks, that was happening. And there's enough of that going on, especially since they will dive to the bottom of the water. And it could be a little bit shiny. It looks different. They can see it better, whether it's on the shore or in the water. And they were eating it. And you were having massive levels of toxicity. And then you eat those birds. That's not good for you. So that's the main reason why lead shot was outlawed for waterfowl hunting. So, you know, I do agree the first point that we're poisoning rivers and streams, except, you know, maybe there are some cases where you've got public land that are just waterfowl hunting areas where there's thousands of people every day. You know, who knows, maybe you could get levels of toxicity from that. But in general, I think it's ridiculous to think we're poisoning streams and rivers with lead shot. But it was absolutely reality that ducks were looking for and finding and eating the lead shot and it was killing them. So that's why it was banned and that's reason enough in my opinion. So we can't use lead, which is the best tool for the job. What do we go to next? Well, steel shot is the number one alternative to lead. But steel shot is not as good as lead. You know, we didn't pick steel because steel was better uh, steel was cheap. It was easier to mill than most other materials. It was easier to find. It was in abundance, uh, but it's still more expensive than lead, uh, substantially, even in waterfowl shot. Steel also does not perform as well as lead. So if you look up the numbers, lead has a density of uh, 11.34, uh, what is it, grams per whatever, but its density is 11.34. Steel's density is 7.8, which is about 31% less dense than lead. And you might say, ah, you know, 31% doesn't sound like a lot. Guys, it makes a much bigger difference than you might think. So here's the way that this works. You've probably thrown a baseball at some point in your life. Let's say, just as an example, you could throw a baseball 100 feet. You wound up with all your might. You threw that baseball as hard as you could. Let's say you can throw it 100 feet. You can, you know, you can probably throw it further. An adult that's in good shape can probably throw it much further. But let's just, for the sake of example, say you could throw a baseball 100 feet. All right. What if I hand you a wiffle ball? Same size as a baseball, right? Number four shot, number four shot. It's the same. Same diameter as a baseball. How far can you throw that wiffle ball? I don't know about you, but I might not be able to throw it much more than 30 feet with the same strength, the same energy. It's moving the same speed when it leaves my hand. What happens? Well, that wiffle ball doesn't weigh as much as that baseball. It's not as dense. In fact, literally, there's air that can pass through it. 
So as soon as it leaves your hand, it doesn't have the density to propel it through the air because air is a substance. Air is a medium. Air has density. It's just like you were throwing something underwater, but that's just a little bit more exaggerated than throwing something through air. So the wind resistance on that wiffle ball is going gonna, is gonna to slow it down and it's going to go fractionally as far as the baseball. Now, of course, you know, the lead versus steel density difference is not as much as the baseball to wiffle ball difference. I'm exaggerating that for the point of the analogy just to help you understand the concept. But you're not going to throw that wiffle ball as far. Here's the other thing. Say you could throw a ba- say you got hit with a baseball going 100 miles an hour. What would that do to you? Well, it would hurt like a ridiculous amount if it hits you in the head. It could cause permanent brain damage or death. Depending on where else it could hit you, it could break bones. It could kill you. What if you got hit with a wiffle ball going 100 miles an hour? It would sting. It would hurt. But it wouldn't do anywhere near the level of damage as that baseball. Now, some people say, well, 100 miles an hour is 100 miles an hour. Well, no. Take a paintball, for example. Those are shot at about 300 miles an hour. People are getting hit with paintballs for fun at 300 miles an hour. They're not killing them. They're not doing permanent damage. In fact, the only reason you wear a mask is just to protect your eyes and your nose. Depending on where you get hit, it might sting a little, might not. Uh, you know, it, it's not a matter of the speed. It's a matter of the density. Now, if that paintball weighed as much as a baseball and it was that size and it was moving 300 miles an hour, then it would hit you you know, more akin to, um, you know, like a musket ball that would, which would, you know, obviously do a whole new level of damage. But when you're talking about lead versus steel, you have both effects of the baseball to wiffle ball analogy. Okay. You can't throw it as far. You just can't get as much distance out of it. And it starts to drop sooner because it doesn't have as much density. It loses speed faster. And then when it does hit something, No matter what speed it's going at, it does less damage because it's less dense. It carries less energy. So, uh, say you have, um, you're shooting out of a shotgun. You've got, okay, number four shot lead, and then you've got number four shot steel. Say they're shooting at the same speed when they leave the muzzle. Just for example, 1,400 feet per second. All right, at... Five yards, they're still going to be going very close to the same speed. At 25 yards, that lead is going to be going faster than the steel. At 50 yards, that lead is going to be going a lot faster than the steel. Could be upwards of 40% faster. You get to 60 yards and beyond, that lead is going to be you know, going a good bit faster than that steel's going. And the further you go, the more the difference in velocity is going to be because the wind resistance on the steel is going to cause it to slow down faster than the lead. Now, it's not just that, but when that lead then hits something at, say, 50 yards, it's going to not just do more damage than the steel because it's denser, But because it's moving faster and it's denser, it's going to do potentially exponentially more damage than the steel is going to do, depending on all the different factors. So um, the steel is really an inferior shot than the lead, but it's cheap. Steel shots run, you know, right around 50 to 70 cents per shot is about what they're going for or have been going for. Uh, so they're not that expensive. They're rel- they're, I mean, they're the cheapest of all the waterfowl shots, all the waterfowl shells. So you can get those and use them. Now, my experience with steel has been, you know, anything within about 25 yards, it doesn't matter what you shoot at it. It doesn't matter if it's steel, doesn't matter if it's lead, doesn't matter if it's something else. Within 25 yards, pretty much anything is going to work. When you get out to 30 and 35 yards, though, and beyond, I kind of feel like the steel shot is, is akin to me just shooting sawdust out of my shotgun. 
Uh, I, you know, I had too many situations and scenarios last year where at 30 and 35 yards, we unloaded shells on birds. And, and we didn't just know we hit them. We had feathers all across the water from these hits. But these birds are then they're just flying away. They didn't care. So they got hit. They took the hits. It, it may have even killed them. You know, hours later, days later. But it didn't have the force to put them down even at 35 yards sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. And just sit there like discouraged. Like what's going on? That's how I learned these things because I started doing the research. When I first started, I just bought the first box of steel shells I could find. Let's get in the woods. Da, 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 da. But after I started having issues, I was like, okay, if that was a crow, that thing would have been gone. You know, if that was a turkey, it'd be down. How are these two pound ducks flying away? Well, it's because what we're hitting them with is way, way less effective than lead. Okay, so what are the alternatives? Well, you have bismuth and you have tungsten. Those are the main alternatives. There's others, but that's all I'm going to cover today. Now, bismuth has a density of 9.6. Now, remember, steel is 7.8. Bismuth is 9.6. That's roughly 23% heavier than steel. 23% heavier. Uh, or denser, excuse me. 23%. You might say, okay, is 23% enough to matter? Well, you have to remember that that's, that, that amount, the effectiveness thereof, is something that it grows over distance. So at the muzzle, you know, if that duck is one inch away from your barrel, then the, the bismuth is going to hit 23% harder, assuming same velocity, same everything. The bismuth is going to hit 23% harder. But if that duck is at 20 yards, that bismuth is going to hit more like 27% harder. If that duck is at 30 yards, that bismuth is going to hit more like, uh, well, excuse me, I am conflating some numbers here. Uh, let me back up. So at the muzzle, it's just a matter of density. As you go further than the muzzle, the bismuth is going faster than the steel's going. So if you go out to say 50 yards, the bismuth is going roughly 40% faster than the steel. Even though they were shot at the same muzzle velocity, the bismuth has held that much more speed than the, the steel. Now, you probably shouldn't be shooting anything that far. But maybe if you got number two shot or BB shot and you're hunting geese, you might take those shots. Uh, especially if you're using a full choke. So the, your, your bismuth is moving maybe 40% faster. You know, 37, 38, 39, 40%. You know, all things being equal versus the steel at that distance. Now, you're not just hitting your target 35, 40% faster or harder. You're hitting it that much faster within a shot that is 23% more dense. So you're causing more damage, not just more damage, both based on the speeds causing more damage and the densities causing more damage. So you're hitting a lot harder with the bismuth. And so I feel like with the steel, it's good enough up to 25 yards, 30 yards. Beyond that, I don't feel like it's good enough. Not good enough for me. Maybe it's good enough for you. Um, you know, for your first season, it might have to be good enough because of the cost. When you get up beyond that, I want to be able to shoot the 40 yards comfortably. So at that distance, I don't, I, can, I don't trust the steel anymore. But the bismuth provides that extra, not just velocity, but also the extra density and the extra hitting power on top of that velocity that's going to cause more penetration. And you guys keep an eye out for the YouTube channel, New Hunter's Guide. Soon I'm actually going to be doing a ballistics gel test of steel versus bismuth. At, that at those kind of ranges to see exactly how much more penetration we get. And I'm not just going to use any bismuth shot. I'm going to use what I found to be maybe the most promising one on the market. I can't say for sure till I've tested it, 
Um, but uh, I'm going to give that a shot, and then I'll, I'll talk more about that then, and we'll see what the performance is, and and make those kind of con- draw some real conclusions. But that's coming, so so be aware. But your bismuth, I feel like, gives you that edge. It's not quite as good as lead, but it's getting you closer. Now bismuth shells run right around like a dollar forty to a dollar seventy a shell. So that's about three, two to three times as much as what steel shells cost. You might say, George, that's a lot more. It might be too much more for you, for your first season. Uh, you, you know, you you might not be able to to put that extra spend into that. So you might just go out, buy yourself a box of steel shells, get into the woods, shoot some ducks, learn, figure out what you like. Maybe the the ways and places you're hunting, you're only going to take closer shots. At which point, that it doesn't matter. The steel work just fine for you. So don't feel like you got to spend extra money. I'm just giving you the options to help you understand the market and help you understand why certain shots cost more than others. So then you've got the tungsten shells. Now, the tungsten borderlines from somewhere between helpful and ridiculous. Okay, so tungsten's density is 18. All right, now you remember lead, 11.3. Steel, 7.8. Bismuth, 9.6. Tungsten, 18. That is more than double steel, and that is much more even than lead. So hands down, tungsten is the top performing shot available at this time commercially. You're talking about outstanding performance. It is so dense that you wouldn't use number four shot you know, c- comparable to, to lead or steel or bismuth. You know, a lot of people shooting tungsten, they're shooting like number seven shot, number nine shot. Why? Because it's so dense. It's so dense. It retains so much energy that a number nine BB can hit harder and go faster than a number two BB at 50 yards and be twice as dense, three times as dense to do drastically more damage. So tungsten, and and when you have smaller BBs, there's more of them in the shell. So you can put more BBs into the air, you can have them going way faster, hitting way harder at significant distances. It's the perfect tool. But tungsten has a downside. It's super expensive. You're talking $10 a bullet right around for 18 gram density. However, tungsten's also the most misleading on the on the board. So you you go look at the shelf and you could see 20 different heavy shot tungsten TSS da 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 da. You're going to have blends of materials. So you're going to have tungsten and steel often mixed. So the range of cost is somewhere between $3 and $10 depending on what percentage tungsten it is. So you might have shot that has a density of, uh, it's a blend, it's a a density of nine. Better than steel, just a little bit of tungsten added in. Maybe your density is 10. Better now even than bismuth, but more tungsten mixed in, more cost. And then you might have ones that are, you know, $6 a shell. Well, you're maybe at 12 or 13 density, better than lead. But very rarely are they labeled. So you don't usually know what you're getting. You don't know what the actual density of the shot is. You don't know how heavy that shot is. You don't know how much tungsten's in it to know if it's worth the dollar figure that's on it. And then, of course, you know, $10 a shot to shoot ducks, you got to be in, in a really special price bracket to be able to afford that as a beginner. This past year, I was considering getting tungsten loads to shoot turkey. But for turkey, you're only shooting one shot, you know, many years, maybe zero shots. So $10 or $20 a year for ammo for turkey hunting, that's, that's not so bad. If you're only shooting one or two shots a year, you can, you can absorb that easier. But for duck hunting, you might shoot 10, 15, 20 shots a day while you're talking hundred two hundred dollars a day not a season a day you know whether you hit them or not so 
just the, the sheer cost there can get really high really fast. Now, if you're booking a trip to go halfway around the world to shoot ducks at Madagascar or whatever, and you're paying thousands, thousands of dollars, well, you know what? Maybe a few hundred dollars in tungsten shells added on to that just to give you the best chances to make the most out of that $10,000 trip is, is no big deal. But that's not probably where most people listening to this podcast are going in the woods are at. They're sitting there going, you know, 60 cents a bullet for steel sounds a little expensive. So you got steel at 60 cents, bismuth at $1.50, and tungsten between $3 and $10. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the tungsten waterfowl shot, both because I don't think you need it. Uh, I think it's overkill. But also because of the cost, but more so the number one reason I'm not a big fan of it for waterfowl is you really don't know what you're getting much of the time. You could be getting charged for full tungsten, but it's only like 10% tungsten. And if it's not labeled and there's no documentation, you don't know, then you're buying stuff you don't know what's in it. It's like buying food without a food label. Well, you don't really know if that's what you think it is. You don't know what those ingredients are. They could be the cheap ones. They could be the expensive ones. You don't know. So, you know, I'm not a huge fan of tungsten because I feel like the market there is really blurry. Now, some people will tell you, but not everybody. And it's really expensive. So, for new hunters, I recommend that you go with either steel shot or bismuth shot. Uh, now people say, okay, well, how many shells do you really need? Okay, so last year I didn't go through a full box. I went through, I think, 22 shots last year. That was just me. You know, we didn't have the most successful year. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just getting started. Um, you know, we, we were not optimized our opportunities but hey we were new hunters and we knew less than you know if you're listening to this podcast so i went through about one box of shells last year so if, if i was getting you know at the end of the day i think i bought that box of shells for 12 or 14 dollars and if i would have bought a box of good high quality bismuth shells i'd have been about 31 32 dollars so you know, you're looking at $12 versus $32 and you've got shipping or whatever on top of that. But that's for the year. So $12 a year for the year is not so bad. $32 for the year is not so bad. Where you get in the problems was where you at $32 for the day. That's where things start to get expensive. But I'll, tell, I'll let you in on a little secret of mine. You don't have to just use one. So here's what I like to do when I'm when I'm uh, crow hunting. If I'm gonna go crow hunting, I'll usually take with me uh, a, a cup, one or two or three high brass, expensive, high powered loads. You know, express range, maximum velocity, maximum effectiveness, and then I'm gonna bring a whole box or two boxes of target loads. And I'm going to put the expensive, high-powered shells in my gun first. And here's the reason why I do that. Number one, um, I don't know how many shots I'm going to get in a particular day. So if I only get one or two shots at crows, I want them to count. I want to have the best chance of taking a bird that I can take. But if I have a great day and dozens and dozens of birds keep coming in and I'm shooting all day, I do not want to spend the money on those expensive shells. So I've got birds on the ground. I'm going to shift or I'm just going to go right into the cheap target loads and then use those for the whole day. So I bring a few good shots with me, good shells with me for those first couple shots because some days you might only get one shot. So I want to have the best chance I can have with that one shot. After that, I'll just use the cheap stuff. You know, if you shoot 100 shots in a day, I'm going to shoot the cheapest stuff money can buy, $5 a box. So... Uh, maybe you want to get a couple different kinds. Who knows? Maybe you want to get some stuff that's a little better. You start with that. And depend on how your day or your season goes, you can switch over. You know, my, my thought has always been this. If I've got to go through multiple boxes of ammo in a season, I'm having a great season. 
right? I'm doing awesome. You know, if I've only go through, you know, half a box or three quarters of, or a third of a box, well, I'm not getting that many opportunities. So if I get a box of good ammo, some business shells, um, you know, my favorite ones that I'm testing now and trying out are the Boss Bismuth. They're not a sponsor. They don't know anything about this show. Um, but they have a copper-plated bismuth, which I really like. Uh, bismuth is dense. It, it could potentially you know, scratch some barrels, but copper is very soft. So when they copper-plate it, then you can use that in all barrels. Also, the copper has better, um, for lack of a better term, viscosity. It, it, it's a little bit more aerodynamic. It doesn't slow down quite as much while flying. On impact, it, uh, it, it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It almost acts as a lubricant on the bullet, enabling it to penetrate tissue further. So in a way, it sort of uh, supercharges the tungsten shells. So those are the ones that I'm looking at and testing and, and planning on trying this coming season. Of course, when we do the ballistics gel test, we'll see if those really perform or not, or if it's just marketing hype. But I'm looking at those. I like those. Um, that's I, I've got. I bought two boxes for this coming season. You're like, well, George, what if you go through more than two boxes? I can't wait. I'm going to use the cheap stuff because I don't plan on buying another box of the expensive ammo. But if I get if I go through both boxes. And then I got to start using steel shot. I'm great. I've had a great season. I don't, you know, I don't mind that little less effectiveness. Uh, that's just the way I look at it. So if you have a few shots, I want those few shots to count. If I'm taking many shots, let's just let's just go to the cheap stuff because we're getting lots of opportunities, and it's not going to make that big of a difference. So I hope this information is helpful for you guys. Uh, if it is, please head to iTunes, leave a review of the podcast. You know, five-star reviews with comments are one of the number one ways to help us reach more people. Head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Check out the show notes. You can also click through to the YouTube page, uh, excuse me, the YouTube channel. And see videos that are coming out, things that we're doing that, you know, not real easy to do a podcast on. But, uh, you know, I appreciate you guys. Till next time, God bless you and go get them in the woods.